Luke 24, 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. All right, so for the next three Sundays, we're going to look at three resurrection stories. And particularly, these are stories for those that are curious about the resurrection. Is this actually true, what we proclaimed so triumphantly last week? What we're going to see in these next three weeks is three different stories of Jesus appearing to people after the empty tomb, after the resurrection, and how Jesus meets us uniquely in our deepest questions that we have. So my encouragement to you as we begin today and next week and the following week is to find a place of resonance with a deep question you may have about, is it true? Could it possibly really have happened? And allow your curiosity to be met through some of these questions. These are questions we need answered to know 
that the resurrection actually is true. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to many people to answer questions about his resurrection and to come to us specifically in our places of questioning. And I just find that so reassuring that in each of these stories we're going to read today in the next three weeks, it specifically says Jesus came to them. He didn't leave us with nothing. He gave us something to be curious with. What are the deepest questions that we need answered about the resurrection? What are the deepest questions you need answered about the resurrection? Next week is for those that need evidence. Next week. Tangible evidence is what next week we're going to be looking at. What evidence even is there for a resurrected Jesus? And what does Jesus do to give us evidence? And so we're going to get to that next week in John chapter 20. In two weeks, we're going to look at the question of where would a resurrected Jesus even fit into my life? So let's say he is resurrected. Where then would he actually meet me in my life? What's the need that's being met there? That's going to be in two weeks in John 21. Today, we're going to kind of answer and ask the question that these folks were asking. Cleopas and whoever was walking with him. Maybe it was his wife. Maybe it was a friend. We don't know the name of the other person. But they're asking in verse 18, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And they're basically asking, what really was the deal with this Jesus guy? What really happened to him? He was a great teacher who came into our midst, who loved us, who did miraculous signs, who healed people. And then just like that, he's gone. What really happened with Jesus of Nazareth? That's what they were asking. They were profoundly confused. They weren't, notice they weren't really asking what happened to his body. They weren't asking, you know, for evidence. That's what's next week. They were asking, they were asking the, like the, the experiential questions of what is the real story behind this man? Who, what really is the true story and what was the whole experience of Jesus really about? There has to be a why to this whole thing. You know, one old philosopher um, has said, he who has a why to live for can endure any how. So in some sense today, we're asking the why question and that'll help us answer the how. So notice before the reading, you know, we started in verse 13. If you go back to verse 11, so if you have a Bible open, that'd be helpful because I'm going to look just a few things before the passage. In verse 11, it says, you know, when Mary Magdalene and some of the women found the empty tomb, verse 11, it says they came back and told the other disciples. But verse 11, it says, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. You hear that? They're like, That seems like nonsense. That's how the NIV translates it, is nonsense. That word there for idle tale or nonsense, that's the only time that word is used in the whole New Testament. It's so far-fetched that they couldn't even fathom that Jesus was not there. It was nonsense. So in verse 13, just a couple of verses later, you see 
two people, two disciples of the larger group. So these are not the core 11 disciples, but these are two others. They start walking to a town called Emmaus, which is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. It doesn't say why they were going there, but it's, you can maybe make the, make the guess that they were going home, that they had come to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover, which everybody did every year, to come into Jerusalem to celebrate the festival, to spend time with family and friends, and now they're going back home. Which, if that doesn't tell you what they thought of what the women saw at the empty tomb, I don't know what does. They didn't think enough of it to stick around to see what might happen. They said, it's nonsense. Everybody said it was nonsense. It was an idle tale. So they're probably just returning to their home, which if it's seven miles away and you're walking at a normal pace, that's at least a couple hours worth of walking, right? And it says these first couple of verses, that verse 14, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Cleopas, what just happened? Jesus, we love this guy. He, we thought he was the one. And then in the matter of just a couple of days, he's on trial, he's convicted, he's exchanged for a murderous, convicted prisoner, Barabbas, and then he's put on a cross and he's dead. And now, what just, Cleopas, what just happened? They were processing all this together. And we're going to get to that for the meat of this sermon. But for the very beginning, I want to jump you down to verse 32. Because they were in that place of questioning, processing. It says they were sad. And then in verse 32, it says, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Cleopas, what just happened? Not now talking about the weekend in Jerusalem. Now they're talking about what just happened in these last two hours while we walked with that guy on the road. Did not our hearts burn within us? What changed in 20 verses for these folks that they are now confidently declaring in verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed, yes, He has appeared to Simon. What happened? Why did their hearts burn within them? That's what I want to answer for you today. So today is basically answering a question of experience. What did they experience that changed their view of everything in just the manner of a few hours? And can that same experience happen to me and you today? Or another day? Or any time that the Lord chooses To meet us. So the first point I want to show is that from verses 15 to 24, Jesus opened their hearts. You know, they don't know who he is at first. These two folks, Cleopas and the other guy or other gal, are walking along the road and a stranger appears to them and just says, Hey, what are you talking about? And they said, Don't you know? No, I don't know. Tell me, what happened? What things? And they start talking. And for those first nine verses, Jesus opens their hearts without them even knowing that it was Jesus. Humans are heart people, first and foremost, I would say. We are people who have a heart, who have an inner being to us that needs to be met. We have experiences in life that change us. 
you know, yes, we do have brains also. Um, Kevin, I think there's a, a picture on the screen that I want to show you. Is it there? There it is. Do you know each of us have two sides of the brain? So we have a left side and a right side. Maybe you've heard this taught before. So enter into psychology class for maybe 20 seconds with me. Um, we have two sides of the brain. The left brain is for more verbal, analytical, orderly people. It's sometimes called the digital brain. It's better at things like reading, writing, computations, logic, sequencing, linear thinking, mathematics, facts, thinking in words. Next week is going to be great for those people because we're going to look at tangible evidence, people like Thomas. But for the right side of the brain, this is more visual. That's where the screen kind of explodes, right? It's the right brain, all these colors and things happening. It's more visual and intuitive. People sometimes refer to this as the analog brain. It has more creative and a less organized way of thinking. No judgment there. Imagination, holistic thinking, intuition, arts, rhythm, nonverbal cues, feeling, daydreaming. That's that side of the brain. Our brains are important to living also. You know, we don't live by feelings alone. We need, we need facts. We need truth. So don't, don't walk away saying, you know, Stephen said we don't need truth or facts today about the resurrection. We're going to get to that next week, believe me. And today can be just as factual and truthful as anything as well. But what I'm trying to show today is that we are also people who need more than just tangible evidence. We are heart people. We don't live only by rationality, facts, and practicality alone. We feel. We have emotions. We have a heart that needs to be drawn into a deeper experience or a why of life. Arts and beauty and music and the experiences of life bring color to the black and white facts of life. And biblically speaking, the Bible talks about the heart being the center of the human. Let me give you just a couple of verses. Proverbs 4, 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life from your heart. Or Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into humanity's heart. Yet he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. You know, one theologian says that God has put enough evidence of himself in the world to make faith a reasonable thing. But he's also left enough out of, it, out of the world to make it impossible to live by reason alone. Meaning that he draws us into experiences of himself because that's what our heart needs. That's what we as humans need. We don't just need it pasted in the sky. Yes, it's true. Jesus raised from the dead. Believe it. Jesus wants us to experience a resurrection or a living Jesus. Jesus opened up their hearts by meeting their emotions at a heart level. Do you see that with Cleopas and his friend or wife, whoever this is? Jesus comes alongside them and asks two questions, and then he just listens to them. He says, tell me what happened, what things happened. And then he listens. He lets them share. He lets them question. He lets them express their grief. Jesus comes to us and pursues us in our emotions. 
in our processing and in our questions. They were still talking about Jesus' death and trial and the whole ordeal. And they had really no idea how to put the whole thing back together. They were, they were grieving, reeling people. They were broken that Jesus was killed on a cross. They couldn't quite understand. And in verse 17, they bluntly say, they were sad. They stood still looking sad. In verse 21, they were even able to share their hopes. It says in verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Do you see the loss that they were feeling? We thought he was the one that was going to save us, and now he's gone. Jesus was able to draw out of them their deepest longings and their true emotions. And then they were able to, Jesus met them in their overwhelmed state. You know, verses 22 to 24, they're even explaining how these women went to the tomb and said, Jesus isn't there. He's not there. He's appearing to people. It's like, maybe, maybe he's risen from the dead. Maybe he's resurrected. And you can hear Cleopas and the other person, they're not fully believing it. They're, they're like, guys, no. Like, we're just trying to grapple with the reality that he died. Like, don't, don't now lead me down the road of maybe he's not dead, that he's now risen. I can't handle that. I'm just trying to grieve. Do you feel the overwhelmed state that these two folks are in as they're walking home? They're just processing with this stranger who asked the question. Jesus does not ignore emotions. Jesus does not ignore your emotions, your despondency, your fear, your sadness, your confused, overwhelming state about what he's doing in the world. Jesus meets you in your place of deepest need. So don't ever be ashamed of the questions you have or the feelings that you have or the emotions, the rawness that you're feeling. Jesus will meet you exactly there. So just be curious about what you're feeling and know that Jesus meets and comes to you in that place. Jesus opens up Cleopas and his friend's heart and he opens our hearts as well. But now the most important thing about this passage. How did Jesus open their hearts? He wasn't just like a good counselor who sits there and listens to you and goes, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, yes, tell me more. Jesus opened their hearts by then opening the scriptures to them. He engages their emotions He processes with them. He lets them grieve. He lets them explain. And then he says, oh, foolish ones, slow to believe. Don't you know that this was supposed to happen? Didn't you read your scriptures? Didn't you anticipate this? And you can almost hear them saying, no, we didn't really anticipate this. Jesus taught them the Bible. Look at verse 25 through 27. So he says, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You may wonder, again, I say this from time to time, why do we spend half of our worship time every single Sunday listening to a a guy or a gal stand up and teach the Bible for 30 minutes? Like, Doesn't that seem disproportionate? Like, why do we spend so much time 
trying to be taught the Bible. And it's because in a large part of what Jesus is modeling for us here, we really can't be transformed apart from understanding the scriptures clearly and what they're teaching us. Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Basically he's saying, he's like, you, you've read the scriptures, you know some of the stories, but have you ever thought about why they're all there? Do you ever thought about the deeper purpose behind all of it? Behind Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the prophets and Ecclesiastes and the Psalms and all these minor prophets like Malachi and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk. You ever thought about what all those things are leading towards? And this stranger, Jesus, who's walking with them says, they're all about the Messiah. They were all leading towards the one person who came and just did exactly what was supposed to happen. There is a one story plot line to the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it has one purpose. And that purpose is to introduce you into a relationship with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the one purpose of the whole Bible. It's not just great stories to to teach you how to be a good person or to show you how to live out your days. It's to introduce you into a relationship with the living God. And Jesus is the way you meet the living God through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. All of the scriptures have that one purpose. There's one lens. And that's why as a church, we exist to try to help teach each other that and to remind each other that. We're not just reading good stories. We're reading the story of the Savior, of the story of Jesus himself. He's the center of the whole story. Jesus took some serious time here to teach them. Do you see that? I said it's about seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So again, imagine you're walking from here to Ipswich. I don't know how far seven miles is from here. Um, It's a long walk. Imagine you're walking there. And someone is just trying to explain to you the story of the Bible the whole time. Imagine it's Jesus himself. Jesus took some serious time. So this isn't to say that in the next you know, five minutes, I'm going to explain to you exactly the whole story of the Bible. Because I can't do that in this short amount of time. But over a long period of time, understanding how each part of the Bible fits together and contributes to us understanding the purpose of Jesus coming. That's the whole purpose of the church, is to interpret the Bible according to Jesus. And there's some people in human history who have been profoundly changed by just that. I would argue that every Christian is changed by just that, by the scriptures coming alive to them. I'll give you three examples quickly. First is a guy named John Wesley, which I think, I think just a couple of weeks ago I told you this story. So I'll remind you of it, or if you hear it, hear it again, it's okay. But John Wesley turned in to be one of the great pastors of the 20th century, 19, or I'm sorry, the 18th century. And, but at one point, he was in a place of deep despair. He really had no clue why he was alive, what, what his purpose was. And he found himself crying out, quote, Lord, help my unbelief. And he felt dull within and little motivated even to pray for his own salvation, he says. And yet he was reading the scriptures one day and then came to a church in England where they were teaching from the book of Romans. And it says at about 8.45 p.m., 
While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. His heart was strangely warmed. It's pretty close to what these guys are describing here. Our hearts were burning within us when he taught us on the road. The second person I'll give to you is a guy named Eugene Peterson. He also was going through a time in his life where he just was questioning what this life was all about. And he heard a pastor preaching. And again, he, he couldn't even really remember exactly what the preaching was on years later. But he knew it was the power of God experienced through his word. And he says, quote, this hunger for something radical, something so true that it burned in his bones, was a constant in his life. His longing for God ignited a ferocity in his soul. The last one I'll give you is a man named St. Augustine, who similarly was living his life his own way, living for his own passions. And he one day was in a garden and he heard the voice of a girl or a boy chanting over and over again, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. And so he did. He picked up the Bible and read it. And the first page that he came to, it said, Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Matthew 19, 21. So he says, I quickly returned to the bench, snatched up the apostle's book, and in silence read the paragraph on which my eyes fell. Quote, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans 13, 13. I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to, for instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something, light, the light, something like the light of full certainty and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. Later, Augustine would write famously, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's about the heart. Do you see that? Something about the teaching of God's word pointed about, about into Jesus that grabs our heart, sets it on fire, burns within us. It lights us up. It warms us in a way that no preacher or teaching can aside from the word of God itself doing the work. So let me finish by just giving you some maybe practical things of what exactly is a burning heart? So it says their hearts were burning within them. Again, after they recognize that it was Jesus, they look back in retrospect and say, man, while he was teaching to us, something was happening inside of us that is enough enough for life, something that I've never felt before. Simply put, a burning heart like this is a profound experience with God. A profound experience with God. And maybe you've had one of those moments in your life. For a lot of us, that is our, our point of conversion, where we go from the old way of living to a new way of living for God and living for Jesus. And it's because of an experience you had. And usually that's coupled with some reasonable evidences. And again, we'll get to that next week and in following weeks. But today it's about 
God is a living God. He's an experiential God who wants to meet you where you are in your life. So what does that mean? I'm gonna give you a couple of things. Verses 28 and 29, you know, it says that, you know, Jesus had, had said he was about to go further on. He was gonna go past the city of Emmaus, but they, they encouraged him to stay with him. I think a burning heart is wanting to be with Jesus. They had been so profoundly impacted by his talk and teaching with them on the road that they wanted him to stay with them and have dinner with them. They wanted Jesus to be with them. I think a burning heart is when we recognize that we want a relationship with God. We want to be with him. And so it says that Jesus remained with them. If, if you're a, 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 a reader of the Bible, that word remain, I hope is setting off fireworks in your mind of other things that Jesus has said. But throughout the New Testament, Jesus emphasizes how he chooses to remain or abide with us. John 15 I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains or abides in me, I will remain or abide in you. Jesus says, if you want me to stay with you, I'll stay with you your whole life. I'll give you that burning heart for your whole life. Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he wants us to understand what that means to to want to be with God. Some of us have just had hard lives and to get to that place, of wanting to be with God is maybe the first big step. Secondly, verses 30 and 31, they get around the table. They're having a meal together. And again, this is probably Cleopas and his friend's house. So they're probably coming into their own house. And yet who's the one that's serving the meal and blessing the meal? It's the guest. It's Jesus himself. And it's around that table I mean, the imagery of the Lord's Supper is clear here, but it's around that table that they really begin to understand and know who Jesus himself is. Jesus sparks a memory in their mind through the serving of the bread. Having a burning heart is really seeing for the first time and knowing who Jesus actually is. And that takes the teaching of the Bible to understand really who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral leader. He's not just a great example. He's the Lord of everything. He's the God of all. It says their eyes were opened, verse 31. And the minute their eyes were opened to recognize him, what happened? He disappeared. He vanished. Why? Because it's not the point. The point is not to be with Jesus physically forever and ever. It will be one day, but for now, what Jesus wanted them to experience was their desire to be with him, spiritually speaking. And again, that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it's belief in the heart that is what's primary. Jesus said in another place in John seven thirty eight, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, an experience of belief. It wasn't the actual seeing Jesus with their own eyes that was necessary. It was the believing in the heart, the experience of him that was necessary. That's what showed them Jesus, the word being clearly taught. Their hearts burned because their hearts saw Jesus, not because their eyes saw him. Their eyes had seen him the whole time, right? But with their hearts burned when they knew who he was because of the scriptures being taught. It's about our heart. 
All right, I'm going to close you this time with one final story. Um, it's a crazy story. This is a Norwegian fairy tale. I'm going to summarize it for you. So just in case you ever go to Norway, this will give you a leg up on understanding them. There's a Norwegian fairy tale called The Giant Who Had No Heart in His Body. And it's the story of a giant who um, somehow physically took his own heart out of his body and sent it away because he didn't want to have a heart. And so he lived as a monstrous giant his whole life and would capture people. And so there's a story of a, of a prince um, who, whose princess was captured by this heartless giant. And so the giant takes the princess to his faraway place. And so the fairy tale is about the prince trying to rescue his princess from the heartless giant. And on his way, he encounters all these obstacles. So he encounters a wolf. He encounters a fish. He encounters other things that kind of deplete him of all his resources on his way to save his princess. But he helps all these people along his way. He finally gets to the castle where the, where the giant is, where his princess is. And he realizes that he actually needs all those animals that he helped along the way. He needs them to help with specific tasks to help him rescue his princess. So he slowly brings all of them back and they help him rescue the princess. But what they realize is to get the key to the final place where the princess is, they have to find the heart of the giant. In order to find the heart of the giant, they have to go to this other place where the heart is being hidden. And so they go to this other trek to get to the heart of the giant. And there when they find it, they crush the heart of the giant so that the giant dies and they rescue the princess. It's a wonderful, adventurous story up until the last moment, isn't it? Because our hearts are longing not for a crushed heart, not for a tragedy like that, but for a, a restored heart, for a, a warm heart, for a burning heart, right? And that's where the story of the gospel transforms a tragedy like a Norwegian fairy tale like this and turns it into a beautiful heroic story of hope because what Jesus did for us was lay down his life in some sense his own heart was crushed for our sake why so that we ourselves our heart of stone could be turned into a heart of flesh again so that our hearts would burn within us so that we would come alive because of the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus came back to life, because his tomb was empty. That's what allows people like Cleopas and his friend and you and I to believe because of a real experience of the risen Jesus, the one who's given us our heart back so that we live, not just knowing about something, but experiencing and feeling the Jesus alive in our midst. Let me close us in prayer and we'll sing a final song together. Father, we, we begin maybe by praying the quote that's on the front of our bulletin, a beautiful quote by William Cowper. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation and find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, even let the unknown tomorrow bring with it what it may. We can only pray that prayer, God, if, if we've 
if we know and believe that the resurrection is true. That is what gives us hope for tomorrow. It's what gives us joy for today. And so I pray for each of us here and for myself too, that um, we wouldn't just confess and believe that the resurrection happened and and seek the evidence and try to find all the, the answers, but that we actually would live into it. We would feel the change that has happened and know that this is actually the one thing that brings purpose to life. You alone, Jesus, can overcome death. And that's our only hope. So give us an experience like that this week through the teaching of your word. May that be our our guide and our instructor throughout all the days of our life. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.